to talk uh, about the venture marketplace. I'm gonna well, I'm gonna give you some macro information on uh, what what's happening in the in the venture marketplace. Then I'm gonna talk about why it's a very attractive time to invest in in uh, early stage venture. Can you hear me? So I'm going to talk about the, the the macro environment for venture. Then two other areas. One, the uh, why there, you know, we all know about the power law of venture capital, but there's also a power law in vintages of venture capital. So I'm going to talk about why it's attractive to invest in venture capital, primarily early stage venture capital, in a down economic environment. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about international. I, I don't think folks have as much allocation outside of the United States. And this last panel talking about emerging markets, I'm a big buyer of emerging markets, but not in the public space, in the private space. And I'll show you some, some slides on that. So just to, to, to start out with, um, you know, free money drove uh, a real increase in risk appetite. Uh, so you can see here that uh, in, in the last six years, 2017 to 2022, we had uh, $6.6 .6 trillion go into uh, um, into into uh, alternatives or, or private stuff. That's more more than the, the prior 13 years combined. And it got a little bit crazy. Uh, valuation metrics were really thrown out of the window to be able to actually get deals done. And you can see that on this next page. Uh, the red lines are the number of unicorns birthed in 20, uh, 20, 2021 and 2022. There were, there were more in 2021 and in, the, in the, those prior six years. I mean, it was nuts. Uh, and still, there was quite a few in 2022, but most of those were in the early part of the year. And we're back down to a little bit more uh, realism uh, thus far in 2023. This takes a look at fundraising year by year, uh, going back till 2013. But you can see the big explosion of, of the last couple of years. And one would be surprised to see why, why is fundraising still so high in 2022 when we had rising inflation, rising interest rates, market decline. And it's that high because it typically a fund will take anywhere from 14 to 16 months to close. And so some of the, the funds that were closed in the early part of 2022 were actually in the market back in 2020. But in what this chart doesn't necessarily show is the quarter by quarter change in 2023. And it was the year over year decline. But here you can see if you, you annualize 2023 fundraising, it's, you know, 2020, uh, 2021, 2022 was 3x that. Uh, so we're getting back to more realistic uh, activity. This takes a look at the money deployed or money invested into venture-backed companies. So in 2019, if you add up all of those quarters, there's $150 billion. In 2020, it was $171 billion. And 2021 was $345 billion, more than double the prior year. And you can see the massive decline that took place subsequent to that just basically demonstrated that there was, you know, insanity taking place in 2021. And this is a slide of what tourist investors. Tourist investors are organizations where investing in venture capital isn't their primary business, like my prior firm, T. Rowe Price. Uh, and typically those organizations are investing mega rounds at later stage crossover investors that are looking for a company to go public in the next couple of years. But with valuations down and the IPO window closed, these tourists were, well, they're tourists, they're leaving. And you can see uh, 
big decline, 67% decline in terms of the, the, the dollar value of what they're investing. And I find this fascinating. So this is this is the uh, a combination of IPO and M and A activity uh, um, liquidity events that took place over time. And you can see that in 2022, or excuse me, 2020 and 2021, there was over 1.1 trillion dollars worth of distributions. Uh, so 2021 was 768 billion dollars. In 2022, it was 73 billion dollars. Now you saw an increase a little bit in the third quarter of this year. The you know the big names that that, that IPO'd were ARM and, and Instacart, Clavio, um, uh, Birkenstock. But by and large, I don't think that the is, the window is going to really open until we have better clarity on on interest rates, on inflation, and if there's more of a uh, a meeting of the minds between buyers and sellers. And this looks at the increase in venture-backed bankruptcies that have taken place. So in 2022, through the third quarter, there were 235. In 2023, through the third quarter, there was 459. That's a 95% increase. And most of these are later stage companies that just didn't make it. It's not looking so much at the earlier stage. And you can see the absolute ridiculousness where valuations got. This is Economic value to the next 12 months uh, revenue multiple. On the left-hand side is uh, high-growth SaaS companies, and on the right-hand side is um, high-growth consumer and internet companies. And you can see, you know, uh, uh, this is very, very healthy. Back down to back down to reality. And as we we saw on that that prior page, that public market declines in valuations has shifted over into the private market. But most of the private market. Um, the, it's the later stage companies that took the biggest hits. Series Series D from a $710 million valuation back in uh, fourth quarter of 2021 down to $347 million. But you can see on, on the early stage, early stage is insulated and resilient. Now, some, some of that increase there uh, is, is attributable to the hype around AI. But for the most part, the early stage is, is more, more protected. So... What, what does all this mean? So mega rounds are are have dried up. That's what us the tourist investors. Hundred million dollar plus rounds. They're they're gone. Portfolio companies have shifted from growth at all costs mentality. So that the era of blitz scaling the top line revenue without regard for what's what's the quality of that top line. That's that's over. There's more focus as should be on on unit economics and profitability. A lot of actions taken to extend the cash runway. Um, there's a th this money that was raised in the last couple of years is not being spent. So m many of the venture capitalists are focusing. Most of the venture capitalists are focusing on their time with the, with the existing portfolio companies, providing some financing for them. So it's, it's money's not being spent. Um, you're seeing a lot of down rounds. Secondary activity is great, providing some liquidity. But the, all of this activity is leading up to the point where we might have a very attractive power law vintage over the next couple of years. And the area that should do the best is, is early stage. So let me let me uh, now talk to investing in a down market. So the red line here is the average U.S. venture capital upper quartile total value to paid in, and the black is the dollar adjusted um, average S and P public market equivalent of that. So you can see in 1998, on the left-hand side, from 1998 to 1992, you know, venture significantly, you know, venture outperformed the public markets, but not by a ton. 
But then you look at the, the, the number of years from 1993 to 1996 that followed the recession, massive increase in the returns that, of those vintages in the venture space. Same thing in the early 2000s, um, venture outperformed the public markets, but not by a lot. But then after the great financial crisis, you had a, a pretty significant increase in, in and across the board. With, yeah. Oh, you told me, okay. Um, okay. These are companies that were founded during a, a period of economic downturn. I mean, I could add Microsoft to that list as well. Okay, venture investing outside the United States. Real quickly, left-hand chart, the left-hand side of that is the number of countries, the number of cities around the globe that had at least one unicorn. Back in uh, 2013, there were there were 38, 18 in the United States and 20 outside the United States. Fast forward to the end of 2022, there's a 168. Um, the 116 of those are outside the United States. So the United States run grew up about 2x outside the United States, 5x. This takes a look at unicorns, maybe look at the right-hand column there in terms of valuation and all this. There's pretty equal between outside the United States and inside the United States. And we all are familiar with PayPal mafia, individuals that worked at PayPal that ended up uh, spinning off and starting other country, other companies. That's happening, that's happening all over the globe. They're, uh, Rappi is in, in Latin America. Uh, this is out in Southeast Asia, also out in Southeast Asia. This is in the Middle East, here in Europe. Uh, you know, huge numbers of companies that are spawned by companies that have gone public. So to, to close here, the last comment is that temporary insanity in 2021 is, is, is coming back home to roost. I mean, that's a very, very positive commentary. Um, vintages in and just after economic downturns are a good time to put money to work. Um, pre-seed affords the best opportunity of that. Um, yeah, there's opportunities internationally. And so if you believe in the long-term growth and opportunity in technology sector, um, investing diversified on a global basis in early stage venture makes a heck of a lot of sense. Okay, sorry. Uh, um, my name is Rich Sobel. Uh, I've been with 361 from early days. I know Mark going back to our time together in Russia. I um, guess uh, I, I wear a couple of hats. I uh, run a single family office, and I also am um, an investor, venture partner in a blockchain fund, and I've incubated an early stage fund together with Eddie Vanderbart. And um, I agree with some of the comments that were said earlier by the venture panel. Um, basically, when you're investing as a single family office or a venture investor, you really have to know yourself, know what your goals are, be able to establish the right investment policy, investment strategies. So what I say now is mostly my personal views about how we go about doing asset allocation and venture selection. Um, <clears throat> basically, I've enjoyed my career being an early pioneer investor in emerging markets, private equity, backing entrepreneurs, helping build businesses. I did that in the 90s and I did that in the 2000s. And the first time around it was very successful and the second time not so. And the macro environment was highly disruptive. So if you could say I had a master class managing risk. One of the lessons that I learned is oftentimes you don't realize exactly how much risk you're taking. 
And I think that that's an important lesson when you look at allocating to direct deals or to managers. So um, one thing I'd say is early stage is great, but it's not a tourist activity. You really have to know the risk you're taking and you have to do it on a systematic scale basis. Choosing a few funds in early stage or choosing a few deals is high risk. If you do enough of them and you're in it enough, I think you can do extremely well. In fact, a friend of mine from Stanford set up Proof Capital. He's an early stage venture guy. He figured out that it's mostly the early stage guys who discover the future unicorns. And it's mostly the early stage guys who eventually run out of money. So what you want to do is have relationships with early stage guys and be able to participate as their winners emerge in co-investments. So we, in the single family office, were an early investor in Proof Capital. We see a lot of co-investment, fund two, fund three. Um, most of what we do in the single family office is kind of lower risk stuff. But we did establish a basket for alternatives. I think you could say it borrows from the endowment model. Probably got about a third of the capital in private funds and private deals. Some of it was established managers and some of it was emerging managers on fund two or fund three. These are sub $300 million managers where our ticket size would be meaningful, where they demonstrated domain expertise and sourcing, ability to add value, and where we saw the opportunity to have co-investment. And that's worked out very well. We also, in partnership with Eddie, invested in about a dozen early stage venture deals. <clears throat> We've had two successful exits and no failures, but there are some companies that are challenged and it is a very tough time to raise private capital for early companies, especially pre-revenue. I took a big sigh of relief last night when we signed a strategic deal with a partner coming into one of our companies. These things are tough. <clears throat> so um, what am I excited about? I'm excited about the United States. I've spent 20 years in emerging markets. I love emerging markets. I believe in them but I think you really have to be in them to be able to play them. Doing it remotely is not really a tourist activity. So most of our activities are domestic. I think private credit is a great place to be these days. And I still believe deeply in the entrepreneurial skills and resilience of folks in the United States to build viable, scalable businesses. And I love being part of that process, helping to provide capital and other skills and support. By no means are we the best at this. So we have humility in understanding that by working alongside early stage and middle stage venture groups, we can leverage their expertise. We can be helpful where we can, but we know we've got some adults in the room. We're, if there's something that goes wrong, we're not the only party that they're looking to for more capital. And um, if they need more capital, those other parties are there as a sign of validation. I would just say, um, in closing, you know, we are in an unprecedented period in terms of uncertainty and risk. But you could say that about the last 10 years, including COVID and financial crises and geopolitics. Now, I personally believe this is going to turn out to be a great vintage for people who can put capital to work effectively. And um, 
I'm excited about the future. Thanks, Richard. Um, I'm Nitu, and I'm the DC Allocation for Cuban Family Office. Um, so we primarily are looking to invest in both venture capital and growth equity funds. I think for us, something that's important is diversification. So we're diversified across all asset classes, pretty much. We have a huge public equities portfolio. We're looking at private credit in a tax-efficient way. Um, you know, we have some private equity as well. And I think because of that, we are able to take some of what might be considered risky bets in the venture industry. I think if you are going to make risky decisions, venture is this place to do that, especially if you understand uh, what it's like to be a direct investor, which is my prior experience. Um, I think with regards to emerging, to touch on some of the things Richard mentioned and Todd mentioned as well, um, emerging markets is definitely interesting, but I think emerging markets can also be within the U.S. Um, you know, there are whole other regions besides Boston, New York, and California, and I'm from Palo Alto, so I'm not just saying that, but we've been looking into a lot of different funds as and deals in Idaho, North Carolina, the Midwest, and South, and the valuations have been about one-fifth or one-fourth of the valuation we're seeing in New York and um, Silicon Valley. So that's one point. Another point in terms of two areas where we're very, very bullish on um, is Israel and India. I think in particular, uh, we think there's a lot of opportunity in both regions. Um, obviously there is some like geopolitical risk, but um, you know, we're confident that the next two to three years um, we'll be able to still see good returns. Um, to go off of what Richard said, it's really important to us that we partner with managers that have experience in both of those areas on the ground. So we're not really looking for people that are GPs based here and just like solely making investments there. We'd be looking for people based in, um, you know, in Tel Aviv or um, New Delhi or, you, you know, Bangalore respectively. Um, and in terms of what I'm most excited by in the industry, I'd say, Early stage right now, and I think from pre seed to Series A um, and even Series B, is at a really interesting inflection point. I think the pre IPO markets, I mean, it's a really challenging time, but if there are GPs that have guided companies through MA transactions, I think, you know, there's, it's a really interesting space. And I think venture secondaries is something that we've found really interesting and compelling. Um, we've been tracking the secondary space and looking at both large and small funds. And yeah, we're really excited by what we see. Um, something else unique about us is we do take bets on emerging fund managers. That does include fund one. Um, and we have, you know, actually allocated into fund ones, even in the down market. It can be really challenging, of course, to de-risk fund ones. And something, you know, that we have done in that case is to look at both quantitative and qualitative characteristics of these GPs. That's not just looking at the GP performance, but also looking head to head when comparing SaaS funds or AI funds or FinTech funds, what makes this particular GP team unique and gives them that competitive advantage to be really investing in that particular sector and customers. So we do look at head to head competition and then we also look at what drives a lot of these GPs. Um, you know, I think a lot of the most successful um, GPs are spinning out of larger funds. They might be repeat entrepreneurs themselves. They have experience being on boards. They have experience hiring and firing. And for us, we believe there's a lot of alpha in finding these smart people early in their solo, you know, GP career early when they're doing their spin-off funds and backing them. And I feel like as allocators, if you back 
GPs in challenging fundraising markets and you believe in trusting them now, it's a great time to build relationships. I actually agree wholeheartedly with what Richard said about this year and 2024 being a positive, good vintage. Um, I think if you look at the last um, recession, global financial crisis, a lot of really great unicorns came out of that. Airbnb, Uber are just two of them. And I think we're going to see a lot of unicorns and a lot of strong um, emerging managers coming out of this um, downward as well. Thank you. I was asked to moderate, but we won't have time to moderate too much because we have a limited duration here. So I'll say a few words about myself. I'm David Tevin. Uh, I, I'm with Coolwater Capital. We are a GP stakes investor and backer of emerging VC funds. We run an accelerator for VC funds. People in the industry call us the Y Combinator for emerging VCs. We've graduated over 185 VC funds, which collectively have raised $2 billion. Uh, we typically take position as an LP and sometimes as a GP and sometimes as a management company in the fund, depending on the exact dynamics of it. So uh, I very much resonate with what you were said, saying about the international opportunity, you got to be on the ground. And you're seeing, just as you're seeing these evolution of unicorns in, around the world, you're seeing the next step, the evolution of VC funds, right? Uh, founded sometimes by those people who worked for Rappi or whatever, right? And those people need support. The typical founder of a VC firm uh, was a tech executive, Maybe they're a VC, but they didn't run a VC, which is the business itself. So we focus on, on increasing their odds of success. The prompt that Mark gave was what is most exciting and what is most worrying. So for me, the answer is the same thing, which is productivity. Why do I say that? So if you look up technology, what's the definition of technology? Anything that enhances human productivity, right? That allows you to do more. So here's what's exciting, right? Financial markets go up and down. But what one human can do with technology just goes up and up, right? That curve keeps going. So, for example, I'm doing a deal now in a company with two full-time staff, 21 private equity clients. They use generative AI to do deal sourcing for private equity funds, and they're profitable, right? So it's hard to imagine a prior era that you can build a company with that caliber of clients, profitable, recurring revenues, 21 clients with two people. And it's because they're very aggressive about using technology throughout the operation. And so I'd see tremendous opportunity by leveraging these new technologies. And if you think of the map, one of our earlier panelists said she's not sure what emerging markets investors uh, or entrepreneurs bring to the US. Well, I'd say in many ways, certain emerging markets are ahead of us, right? So South Korea is ahead of us in internet speed, high speed internet being broadly available in mobile, right? There's a reason Mark Zuckerberg is learning Chinese, not just his wife, right? He wants to learn from the Chinese technology developing the US. So, though, we're seeing this layering of people taking lessons from different markets and bringing them here and, of course, vice versa. Uh, now, why is this worrying? Well, it's worrying because it creates all sorts of instability, right? 9-11 was done by, I think, 20 hijackers, right? A small group of people can cause even more damage by using technology in all sorts of nefarious ways. Uh, it obviously creates potential political risks as more people worry about their jobs. Not curling issue, because unemployment, of course, is so low, as earlier referenced, but long-term, that is certainly a concern. Uh, the number one job, I think 12 states is truck driver, right? I'm not sure those jobs are gonna exist 10 years from now. So, uh, so the fact that human productivity keeps increasing creates tremendous opportunities for VCs, but also creates an opportunity to, um, uh, for, for malefactors and for instability. Uh, last thing I'll say that's exciting for me is if you look at the public markets, there's a multi-decade trend towards use of greater data analytics. If you look internally at D-Shop, Two Sigma, firms like that, they look like software. 
They don't look like Charlie Munger using a pencil going through 10K, which worked out fine for him, due respect, right? Um, but in the private markets, we're way behind, right? Many, many private equity VC funds, their tech stack is Excel and Salesforce.com. So I think the next generation of emerging managers are going to be much more aggressive about the use of technology and analytics. I run a blog, uh, TED.com, about emerging managers, and that's the focus. How do you find the right tools to increase your returns? And so there's a lot of opportunity to do better through use of technology and analytics. Do we have a one minute more? And I'd like to, I did not do it the last panel, and I take a take. We always have questions from the crowd. Okay. So before we break, I want to hear, we've heard this is really an intro panel, not an asset class panel, that's fine. Um, if you don't mind, just like, what, what are the questions? It's true. Uh, so, so what should we do now? <laughs> in, invest in, in early stage venture. If if you if you're not, uh, well, let me ask the question: Are you actively invested in the venture capital space? Yeah. Okay. Are, are you active with that, or are you passively investing in a bunch of different things, or actively investing in individual companies? I Okay. So if you want to get some allocation to international, find a manager that has a globally diversified portfolio of, of early stage companies. That's that's one thing I would do. Space company. Thank you. Any other questions? What are some of the technologies you're seeing that these new emerging VCs are using? What's some of the tech that you're referring to? Um, so for those interested, I have a 10,000 word answer, but I will not get that to you here. Um, so briefly, there's a lot of use of generative AI for deal sourcing. The company I mentioned earlier, the way it works is you say to them, I'm interested in, say, uh, uh, semiconductor companies in the, the Midwest, right? So create a list of such companies and send them an email saying, hi, I'm interested in actually investing in your company, but they don't sound camped, right? What they're doing is they're mapping the bio of the target Right, what awards has she received? Has her firm recently hit a big milestone? And the sender, and then they're saying, Oh, you went to the same school as me. Congratulations on the award you just got. That's the work a, an analyst would do historically. Now you just do generative AI. Uh, another huge opportunity is data scraping. Right, there's more and more data exhaust out there that you can scrape in order to find out what are the fast growing companies, whose headcount has grown, who has signed new leases. Right, those are all proxies for growth that indicate you might want to reach out. What's everyone's view on uh, venture debt? What's the view on venture debt? Uh, there's a, there's a given the given the issues in the marketplace. There's a, there's a lot more need for it, but it's, it's bloody expensive. Yeah, I, I will add Silicon Valley Bank. I love them. Right, they basically were were from according to a lot of the CFOs I work with. Right. They were selling it at a loss, right, in order to get the long-term business, right? So they were, um, uh, it, they're going away. It, it raised prices for the whole industry, yeah. um, which is good from the point of view of venture debt lenders. Anyone else? Okay. Um, I guess I could uh, speak about it. Get people here. Uh, actually, two questions. One question is that most you know, about 1,000 VC funds in, in the US alone. You know, we all know that those are going under the floor. And, and um, there's such a, I'm, I've been sitting about for 50 years, but there's one time. And there's such an overhype when it comes to AI investments. 
Yeah, this and that. You know, one of some of the um, new roadmaps, executable switching roadmaps that we really recommend to both potential investors into the fund. And those single family offices that I like to still be in for the record into the companies. I mean, there's a joke. There is a joke when you ask um, GPs about performance that every GP says they're part of a top quartile fund. Um, I think something that's like, you know, we're looking at deep tech and we're interested in AI, but I think a lot of funds are just playing the AI funds when they're not. So I think the hype does make it difficult to diligence. Something that we've been taking into account is we're still looking at general um, sector specific funds though. But we're looking at AI and infrastructure and application layer. Um, personally, more than large language models, we feel like that has a little bit of a longer um, lasting potential. And we feel like we're going to be able to build this out better. Um, I think also looking when looking at GPs that say they're doing AI, asking them how they're diligencing the technical teams and how they're diligencing the technical staff is something that we really dig into. Um, we also try to understand like what are the differentiators in the notes, like in terms of proprietary data engines. Um, and then also just looking at their background, like if there's two people who just have like humanities degrees, no STEM, no experience in building and becoming humanities, so I'm not like knocking on it. But and they say that they're doing like a deep tech fund and they don't have any experts in the space, you know, that's like a red flag for us. So I think just keeping making sure we have that quant focus. Um, and then also. A lot of funds are already investing in AI technologies. They don't need to label themselves AI funds. So I think when there's a fund that says that they're an AI fund and that they just cropped up in the last like year or two, I really try to dig into the investment pieces to be like, are they, you know, taking advantage of the hype cycle? Were they on the three funds like, you know, two, three years ago? Um, I think I sat in on YC's demo day and I noticed that a lot of the companies were just packing on the words ML, AI onto their decks just to drive up valuations. And I think if there are investors that are unfamiliar with VC, they'll kind of follow the hype of the trends. And we've been, I've been looking at AI for years since I was in 2017. So, you know, beyond hype, this is the way we look at things like that.